Most of all, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who freely left his home in glory, came to earth, lived, died, and was buried, rose again on the third day according to the scripture. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for the blood that he shed, that he purchased the church that we are a member of. We pray, Heavenly Father, for every church door open and every person proclaiming your word this morning, Heavenly Father. We also pray, Heavenly Father, for the churches that's having difficulty at this time. We just pray, Heavenly Father, you will look down and bless them with the thing, Heavenly Father. You know they stand in need of according to your will. Heavenly Father, we pray for the ones that's working on the front line. We just pray, Heavenly Father, you will look down and bless them with the thing you know they stand in need of according to your will. We pray, Heavenly Father, for each and every member here at Inglewood Church of Christ and their families and friends. We just pray, Heavenly Father, you will bless us with the thing, Heavenly Father, you know we stand in need of according to your will. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the sick and shut in all over the world. We just pray, Heavenly Father, you will bless them with the thing you know they stand in need of according to your will. Pray, Heavenly Father, for the ones that's traveling. We pray, Heavenly Father, that they'll get to and from their destination safe without any hurt, harm, or danger coming to them. We also pray, Heavenly Father, for the bereaved family all over the world. We just pray, Heavenly Father, you will comfort those families, strengthen them, Heavenly Father, in the only way that you know how. And Heavenly Father, we pray for the Iranian people. We just pray you will look down and bless them with the thing you know they stand in need of according to your will. And pray, Heavenly Father, when we think, say, or do anything contrary to your word, we pray, Heavenly Father, you will forgive us and won't hold it against us at the judgment bar. We also pray, Heavenly Father, you will continue to strengthen us where we are weak and build us up, Heavenly Father, where we are torn down. Pray, Heavenly Father, for the ones that's walking in darkness. We just pray, Heavenly Father, they'll come to the light before it's everlasting too late. We also pray, Heavenly Father, for our delinquished members. We pray, Heavenly Father, they'll come and repent before it's everlasting too late. We pray, Heavenly Father, your will will be done here on earth as it is done in heaven. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we'll continue loving each other more and more each day and we just pray heavenly father we will become better christian today than we were yesterday we also say a special prayer for brother cole pepper as he come deliver us the bread of life we pray heavenly father that we uh, listen as though we'll listen for eternity because he will be eternal matters he will be delivering unto us and not only listeners and hearers of your word but also doers of your word. And Heavenly Father, we pray that this witcher service will be done decent and in order, and we just pray, Heavenly Father, it will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And Heavenly Father, when we done come to the end of our journey, said our last prayer, and taken our last breath, we just pray, Heavenly Father, we'll hear those wonderful words. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Come on in, get your mansion, your robe, and your crown. All these blessings we ask in your Son, and our Savior Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
Please turn to page 869 in your Faith and Praise book. Once again, that is page 869 in your Faith and Praise book. We're marching to Zion. Page 869. Once again, it's page 869. Bob, let us sing. Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord. Join in a song with sweet accord. And thus surround the throne. And thus surround the throne. Well, we're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upwards to Zion. The beautiful city of God. And let, let refuse to sing who never knew our God. But children of the heavenly King, but children of the heavenly King may speak their joys abroad, may speak their joys abroad. Well, we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upwards to Zion, the beautiful city of God. The hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets before we reach the heavenly fields. Before we reach the heavenly fields, or oh, walk the golden streets, or oh, walk the golden streets. Well, we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upwards to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Then let our songs abound and every tear be dry. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground to fairer worlds on high, to fairer worlds on high. Well, we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upwards to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Well, we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upwards to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Please turn to page 871 in your Faith and Praise books. Once again, that's page 871 in your faith and praise books. Beautiful. 
Bob, let us sing. Beautiful robe, so white, beautiful land of light, beautiful home, so bright, where there shall come no night, beautiful crown, shining and bright o'er there, yonder in mansions fair, gather us there, in beautiful robes, and beautiful land, and beautiful home, and beautiful band of mine, and beautiful crown, shining so fair, and beautiful mansions bright, and gather us there, yes, gather us there, beautiful thought to me, we shall forever be, thine in eternity, when from this world we're free, free from its soul and care, heavenly joys to share, let me cross over there, and this is my prayer, in Shiny, yes, shining so fair, beautiful mansions bright, and gather us there, yes, gather us there, beautiful things on high, over in yonder sky, thus I shall leave this shore, counting my treasures shall never die, and carry me by and by, never to sorrow more, in heavenly sore, and beautiful robes, and beautiful land, and beautiful home, and beautiful Shining so shiny, yes, shining so fair, and beautiful mansions bright, and gather us there, and beautiful robes, and beautiful land, and beautiful home, and beautiful Shining so shining, yes, shining so fair, and beautiful mansions.
gather us there, yes, gather us there. Please turn to page 14 in your sex selection psalm book. Once again, that is page 14 in your sex selection psalm book. God is real. Once again, it's page 14 in your sex selection psalm books. Paul, let us sing. There are some things I may not know.
says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. And so we need to believe that he is here with us uh, as we worship together, as we have congregated here in this place, in this building, and that we may worship him in spirit and in truth. God is our objective. Uh, we are here to worship him and not ourselves. And so we sing songs of praise unto him. We read his word and we pray unto him to give him the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, and we do that continually. Uh, the word of God helps us to understand that these are the spiritual acts of worship. And so we have uh, uh, presented ourselves, and we have conducted those things in such a way that I pray they are a sweet-smelling savor unto God. If God is pleased, then we've done all right. If we've pleased ourselves, then we've done the wrong thing. Uh, but when God is pleased, then we should, be, we should be all right with that. It's good to see you this morning. It's always good to be in worship service. No matter what's going on in the world, it's always good to be in worship, uh, especially upon uh, God has given us to be in worship upon the first day of the week. I want to call your attention to Genesis chapter 9, which was read in your hearing this morning. As we return back to our thoughts and our uh, discussion for our theme this year, uh, we've been dealing with the, uh, the idea of the ark of the, uh, that Noah built, uh, and we're looking at the, uh, the connection that it has with the tabernacle, the temple, and the church, all of them being interconnected uh, by the foundational principle, which is the covenant of God. Uh, God has given us a covenant, and he has provided a covenant in every dispensation. Uh, and so we went all the way back to the book of Genesis to make it clear that God has never interacted with man without a covenant, without an agreement. And God is the author of that covenant. He is the author of that agreement. Truly, Hebrews chapter 11 helps us to understand that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. He has given us this, uh, this covenant that we may uh, read it, and by reading it that we may glean from it his will. And apply that to our lives that we may be found in the latter day acceptable unto him. Because ultimately, we want to make it to heaven's glory. Uh, we want to be in eternity. And the only way that we can make it there is by following the covenant of God. It is the pathway from earth to glory. I remember John made it very clear in John chapter uh, 14 when John said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I shall come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is our goal. And the only way that we can go there is through Jesus Christ. One of the disciples said, Lord, how shall we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so we need to understand the significance of the, the covenant agreement uh, that Noah had in his day. We've already uh, journeyed from Adam and Eve. We, we are now part, uh, uh, part way through after the flood, if you will. Uh, and now we're into the 
the fruitful and multiplied, the reestablishment, the reengagement of man, humanity, with God once again. Uh, so let me do a quick recap just to bring us quickly to Genesis chapter 9. And so we know that man's uh, behavior upon the face of the earth was continually evil. Uh, God, if you will, did not uh, desire that, nor was he going to uh, continue to put up with how man was conducting themselves upon the face of the earth. He said their minds, their hearts, was continually evil. He called it the imagination, was continually evil. And God was not going to let it uh, persist. He wasn't going to let it continue. And so God decided to destroy the first world. And when we say destroy, we don't talk about destroying the earth, but he destroyed every living thing that was outside of the ark. And that uh, lets us know that when it comes to salvation, God has a place where he's going to save people. And in the time of the flood, it was the ark. The Bible teaches us that Noah and seven other souls, eight in total, were saved in the ark that was designed and built by God. And that's another principle we need to understand. Man can't build something that can save somebody. Certainly not save their souls. Only God can build that which is able to save the soul. God designed the ark. He gave Noah the plan. And Noah executed the plan that was designed. Noah didn't create the plan. He executed the plan, implemented the plan, and lived accordingly that God may find him worthy. God said Noah found grace in the eyes of God, favor. And so Noah in the, the uh, other seven souls were saved in the ark. And then the flood came. God is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness. When God said he's going to do such a thing, you can rest assured it will be done. That may not be done on the time that you want it to be done or you expect it to be accomplished, but God will accomplish his promise. And he shall fulfill it as 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 helps us understand. And so the flood came. But prior to the coming of the flood, Noah, a preacher of righteousness, was sharing God's way to be saved. You see, God didn't leave it, if you will, uh, up to uh, the end of uh, the flood to only save eight souls. But God, if you will, had a plan to turn as many that would be willing to believe his way. But only eight souls. Noah and his family obeyed and believed in God's word. But over that 120-year period, Noah's preaching the gospel. Peter called him a preacher of righteousness. He's sharing God's word. He's sharing God's law, God's covenant with the people. But yet, only eight souls believed. Now, I understand that that may be stressful because when it comes to the church, we know we have more people, if you will, striving to uh, make heaven their home and and, and, and doing all that they believe that they can do to, 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 to please God. But let me tell you something. Uh, uh, God saved only eight souls in the days of Noah. Amen. Only eight souls. Amen. That tells me something about God. Amen. God says if, 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 if faith is not coupled with obedience, then he has no obligation to fulfill his covenant to save your soul. Amen. And that, that's just the bottom line. 
Uh, Noah, if you will, Bible says that he found favor. He found grace in the eyes of God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that when God spoke to Noah, Noah moved with fear. With fear that he would build the ark according to how God uh, uh, designed it to be built so that they might be saved. Salvation was on Noah's mind. Amen. It wasn't about how many friends he had in the world. Amen. It wasn't about all the possessions that he may have had, but it was about the, the, the saving of his soul. Noah preached the gospel. He preached the righteousness, rather, of God. And, and by preaching the righteousness of God, he, he, he convinced his family, and his family obeyed the, gospel, obeyed the righteousness of God, and they entered into the ark. Now, in Genesis chapter 9, after the ark survived the flood, saved they were, after the deluge of the flood coming upon the first face of the earth and taking out every soul that was outside of the ark. We find Noah now in Genesis 9. And we find that the re-engagement of humanity with God once again. God cleansed the earth. He destroyed everything on the outside of the ark. Now God is re-engaging Noah and those who were within the ark with him, his sons in particular. In Genesis 9, in verse number 1, the Bible says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. These are the directives that God gave uh, to, the, to Noah and his sons, uh, that they may re-engage and to uh, replenish the earth and to uh, once again reignite the life uh, that was upon the face of the earth in terms of humanity. But God made sure that they were not without a plan, that they were not without a direction, that they were not without something that would guide and to shape their hearts or able to guide and to shape their hearts, that they may do that which was right. And in this process, God made sure that he provided. And that's something we need to know about God's covenant. When God gives us a covenant, God makes sure that he provides us with everything we need to fulfill the covenant. Amen. God doesn't lead us, leave us without the resources to do that which he has commanded to be done. In verse number 2, we find the Bible says, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moves upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand, into your hand, into your hand are they delivered. I have given these things unto you. Amen. That you may what? Have dominion. That you may have all that you need in order to fulfill that which I have commanded you to do and to accomplish to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish all of the earth. In verse number three, he says, every, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Every living thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Amen. That's why I don't mind when you guys laugh at me about me uh, uh, eating my hog mog and my chitlins. I don't have a problem with that. Because the Bible says all meat. Amen. All I have to do is pray and be thankful, and I'm going, to, I'm going to town with some hot sauce. Red rooster, as a matter of fact. But I don't have no problem with that. You shouldn't eat certain kinds of meat. That's what not God said. God said, you eat what you want. Now, all things in proportion. Now, let me stop there. But we, we, he said, all meat, amen, for you, even as the green herb, amen, so you got to have some salad. you got to have some salad. 
Got to have some salad. Amen. Uh, even as the green herb have I given you all things. God provides in his covenant. He provides and he provides for the purpose of the saving of our souls. As he provided for the, saints, the sustainability of Noah and his sons and their wives' uh, uh, lives, he, he, he provides the same in the spiritual realm. He, as he provided for the body with the meat and the herbs, he provides for our soul the word of God that's, that feeds our soul. Man shall not live, Jesus said, by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Perhaps that is why God made it understood, and, and we should understand it as well, that in Colossians chapter 3 and 16, when he says, be full of the word, be overflowing with it, be rich with the word of God. It's not meant that your body somehow finds some type of nutrient from that. It's meant for your soul to be fed, Amen. that it can be strengthened. Amen. So that it may, in fact, influence the uh, uh, disposition of the body and the things that the body would desire to do under the fleshly law. The spirit being filled with the word of God is strengthened by, as Paul would say, it's strengthened to the extent where it's able to bring the body into subjection. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, I keep under my body, I bring it into subjection, that while I have preached the other to others, I myself should be a castaway. Word of God is meant to feed our souls. It's meant to feed our spirit so that we may overcome the weaknesses of the flesh. Nevertheless, we find Noah being informed of God. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. Verse number four, but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall not ye not, you shall not eat. This is dealing with the drinking of the blood. This is something that was based on uh, uh, demography and demonology. But anyway, he deals with, and surely your blood and your lives will I require of it. He said, this is not something that I desire. It's amazing that people would create religions around that type of practice. But that is not what God desired. And surely your blood, he said, I will require of it at the hand of every beast will I require of it. And if, if it deals with the fact of, of man's hand against another man and you take another man's life, he's saying, I will require your life. And, and, and surely in the time of this dispensation, in the time of this generation, when this was a part of the covenant, God was not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness. If you took a life, a life was to be given. God now has our covenant where in the end times we shall all be judged by the things that we do in this body, whether it be good or whether it be evil, 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. But here in this time, in this dispensation, this is the law. Verse number 6, he says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he Man, I, I need to I need to emphasize that because now we 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 still deal with this type this 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 the the idea that somehow somehow man evolved from apes and I don't think that that's the case. God said He created man in His image. Amen. Unless you believe God was an ape, I don't know how you go there. But 
He said, I created man in my image and in the image he created him from the dust of the ground, from the earth that God created. He created the body and from and into that body, the Bible says God breathed life and that man became a living nephesh. And by becoming a living nephesh, he became the image of God, the image of God in that in the material sense, God made the body from the earth. But in the spiritual sense, he gave him that which was eternal, the soul. And it represented who God is, an eternal being. We go on and we find ourselves now. God saying, it's not the body that you are destroying. Ultimately, that soul is what he desires. And that he does not want to be destroyed. In verse number 7, uh, as, 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 as Solomon would say to us in Ecclesiastes, the book of the preacher, he says the body goes back to the dust of the earth from which it came, but the spirit goes back to God who gave it. Amen. So he goes on in Genesis 9. And he says to Noah, in verse number 7, And you be ye fruitful, and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. And God spake unto Noah and his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed and so even as they departed the ark and they began to rebuild their lives of humanity, after God had cleansed the earth, God made sure that they understood that there is still the covenant that is in place. And the covenant that is in place is a covenant that must be obeyed. And it's not a covenant you can create on your own. You cannot create your own idea of God. You can't create your own idea of how you want to uh, 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 worship and, and be religious. It's about how God has placed it in his covenant. Man would not even know that there is a God without the covenant. It's because of the covenant that we know that there is a God. Man's heart. Man's mind must change in order for the Christian schema to be manifested, in order for that young man who we spoke about on last Lord's Day that found himself, himself in the hog pen, having squandered all of his uh, material things in the world that he had in his father's house. The Bible says that he had to come to himself. And, and, and last Lord's Day, as we pick up on that thought, last Lord's Day we talked about him being in the hog pen and he found himself alone in the hog pen. But wait a minute. Before he got to the hog pen, he had a whole lot of friends. It's interesting that at the lowest time, everybody abandons you. Amen. But I thank God that we have Jesus in our life because Jesus sticks with us until the end. Amen. The Bible says there's no friend like him. But Jesus, if you will, in the sense of giving us his word and giving us the covenant, we find the rich, the, the young man in the hog pen. But the Bible says he had to come to himself and he had to think about and remember, if you will, what was in his father's house. His schema, his mind had to change in order for him to return back to his father's house. He could not, if you will, begin to subjectively try to rationalize, well, uh, 
I'm going to do it the way that I desire to do it. No, he had to come to himself and he had to think about what God had already provided. He had to come to himself. And when he came to himself, he had to think about the word, the covenant, his father's house. And by thinking about his father's house, he began to turn. And he says, I remember. You see, the mind is strengthened by the word of God. I remember when I was at my father's house, how he had all that was necessary. In his father's house, God had provided, just like he provided for Noah and his sons and the wives in the day of the exiting of the, of the ark. He had provided for the, for the young man. God, the father, had provided. And when he remembered that God provides, he turned his mind back to the Lord. When he remembers that God provides. And I pray that as we continue to study God's word and study his covenant, that we get to the point where we understand and we remember as humanity, the humanity that God created from the very beginning. He, God never intended for us to live in sin. God never intended for us to live, if you will, in lives of, of wickedness and evil in the earth. God meant us to be good because the Bible teaches us very clearly that when he created man, he created He made him good. And when he made the woman, he made her very good. And it was that intent that God had. It was the devil that creeped in and, and if it will, and, and, and uh, caused the conflict and the sin to come in into the world. But God's intent, and it still is and has always been, was that man would have an intimate relationship with him. And that relationship will be based on them obeying his word, the covenant, the schema of the man's heart, the mind, changed. And he remembered how, how his father had provided all that he needed. Sometimes we need to understand. We may, not have, we, may not, we may not have all the riches in the world that others may have. We may not have all the, the material things in the world that others may possess. But let me tell you something. If you have the Lord, you have everything you need. You have everything you need. Even more than what you can ever desire or deserve. That leads us to the idea of the, of, 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 of the, the schema changing from that which is subject to thinking that you can do it on your own, you can frame it in your own way, it begins to be objective. In other words, there must be something that gives us guidance and direction in order for us to move in the, in the, in the way that God desires us to move that we might be saved. We cannot create our own direction to heaven. God has provided that pathway. Noah and the sons and the wives were given the covenant so that they may obey God in the way that God desires that they might be saved, that they might be sustained upon the face of the earth. This is an objective faith. It's an objective faith. It's a faith that is only framed by God. So then in Romans 10 and 17, when Paul writes to the church at Rome, he writes to them and he says in Romans 10, 17, he says, so then faith cometh by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God. When Noah was spoken to by God, Noah was hearing God's word. Noah was listening to what God had to say about the matter. How will I be stained upon this new earth that you have, uh, you have provided us with? Because the old earth is now gone in terms of what the, of what the, uh, the existence was before the deluge, before the flood. That world is now gone. This is a new earth. It is a new existence. How shall I be stained? And God said, Noah, listen to what I have to say. Remember my covenant. I will sustain you. I will sustain you. I will provide what it is that you need. I'm going to place in your hands. I'm going to deliver unto you all things. You will have dominion. Your family will have dominion. And don't fear to do that which I have commanded to be done. Be faithful. Be obedient to my word. Follow my covenant. And if you do that, you will be sustained. And not only you. When you're dealing with this covenant, this, 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 this idea of the objective faith, one that is based on God's pathway and how God has uh, uh, led us through uh, understanding how the, to overcome the weaknesses of man's flesh and to uh, change our spiritual hearts, our spiritual minds, our Christian schema, that we might, if you will, obey the word of God and be found one day worthy to enter into heaven's glory, we have to understand that doing that is not only for the current generation, but doing that is for the generation to come. There must be a foundation somewhere in order for someone to build upon it. And so God says to them, not only is this covenant being made with you in the current moment, in the current time, in the days of Noah, it was made with them. We'll eventually get to, uh, to Moses and to uh, Abraham, and we'll eventually get to Isaac and Jacob and the others, and we'll, we'll get to Solomon and David, and we'll get to others, if you will, under their dispensation and in their time where they had the covenant uh, presented to them and was required to obey it like every dispensation. But in this current dispensation in 2021, during the time of the Christian dispensation, in this time, God's covenant is still the road that leads from earth to glory. And that pathway, that foundation needs to be laid because not only is our soul at stake, our children's souls are at stake. If they don't have the covenant, if they don't have the foundation, they cannot be saved. Remember, the, uh, Amos made it very clear that there's a famine in the land. We talked about this. There's a famine in the land. In the days of the young man that was in the hog pen, there was a famine in the land. That was a famine of food and water. There was a famine in the land. But when it comes to Amos, Amos is not only dealing with the issue of a famine in terms of material things. Amos said the famine is not about food and water. The famine is about the word of God. There's a famine in the land. People are not following after the covenant of God. They're not following after the word of God. Certainly not the way that God had planned it. People have gone their own way instead of following in the way of the Lord. They have constructed their own belief systems and have called it religion. But it's not based on the belief that God would have us to follow after. 
if there's a challenging time for us, there's a challenging time in our current time for us to get back to what God has provided. God has never left us without a way to make it from earth to gold. There's always been a pathway. There's always been a pathway. And, and, and Paul would tell the, 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 the church at Rome in Romans uh, chapter 10, he would even address those who were first given their, their, the, 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 their uh, uh, belief system when it came to having a uh, monotheistic belief system in that there was only one God. That's what the Jewish culture was given. And they were the first. They were God's chosen people, if you will. And so God made sure that they understood that, that, that God was not some stone that they could, uh, that they could uh, 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 hone and, and carve. God was not some tree that they could set up and cut up and place special uh, uh, ornaments on. God was not the river. God was not the sky. God, if you will, is a divine being. God is not created with hands. He dwelleth not in things made with hands. But God was from the beginning before there was a beginning. He is the Elohim. He is the one that existed before existence became relevant to the lives of humanity. The Bible in John and John, the Gospel of John and John chapter 1 says in the beginning. And that beginning is not talking about our beginning. He's talking about before our beginning, the beginning that exists where only the Godhead was. Nevertheless, we find ourselves in Romans 10, and we find a time when individuals, if you will, had a subjective faith and not an objective faith. And Paul made it very clear that an, a, a subjective faith cannot save your soul. In Romans chapter 10 and verse number 1, Paul would write to the church at Rome, and he said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is, for Israel, is that they might be saved. And we should all have that prayer. We don't want no, we want everybody to be saved. Amen. We want everybody to be saved. But, but, but God makes it very clear when he says that they might be saved. That means that there are some prerequisites, there's some conditions upon which one must live in order that they might be saved. You just can't subjectively determine that. God has given us the word that we may objectively read his word and be able to understand how we ought to be saved and how we're going to be saved. If Noah would have decided that he would not build the ark the way that God wanted it to be built, I can tell you, I can tell you right now, that boat would not have floated. Amen. Just because you build a boat don't mean it'll float. If you don't build it according to the plan, that doesn't mean it's going to float. It may look like a boat, but don't make it a boat. Amen. But nevertheless, he goes on and says, look, in verse number two, in Romans 10 and two, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. But he says, but not according to knowledge, not according to knowledge, not according to knowledge. When you're talking about not according to knowledge, what it's saying is that, that, that they, they have this zeal of God. It's an emotional zeal. It's something that may appear to be religious. It's something that it may appear to be righteous. It's something that may appear to be right. It may even make you feel good in a temporary sense. But God said it's still not according to knowledge because it's not according to my word. It's not according to the covenant of God. That's the knowledge that he's talking about. Amen. He said, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but it's not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's what? Righteousness. Being ignorant of God's righteousness. 
And the master teacher Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 and 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When he talks about God's righteousness, he's talking about the righteousness that has given us the body of Christ, the righteousness that has given us the kingdom of God, the righteousness that has given us the church of Christ. That righteousness. And Paul says in Romans 1 and verse number 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is, not was, it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The Jew is Israel, by the way. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. What faith? That objective faith. Not the faith that you want, but the faith that God gave. The faith that is able to save your soul. He said, I bear them record. They have a zeal of God. But it's not according to knowledge. It's not according to the faith that God would have us to have in order that we might be saved. And so Paul goes on and he warns him. He says, look, you being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And that's why God gave Noah and the sons and, his, and their wives the covenant. He didn't want them going out there trying to establish their own righteousness. He wanted them to continue with his righteousness. And as soon as they stop doing what God has to be done, we see all the bloodshed from that time forward. Wickedness enters into the world again. Disobedience enters into the world again. Man against man, raising their hands against another, uh, another fellow human being. And we see the destruction of the devil's work continuing again. Because once man turns away from the covenant of God, they have no foundation. Have no foundation. Have no restraints. They're not constrained by anything. It is the word of God that not only makes us free from sin, it's the word of God that constrains us from sin. Because we understand what the penalty is. In Romans chapter 6, Paul would tell the church at Rome, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Christian schema is certainly not about trying to establish our own way to heaven, but it's about seeing how God has prepared a way to heaven. Paul would go on in Romans chapter 10, and he would continue in his discourse with the, with the children of Israel, the Jews. He would continue in his discourse because many of them had started, if you will, to, to turn toward Christ. They started turning toward uh, Jesus because they understood that, 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 that the old law, the law of the Mosaic law, was, was, was now, if you will, uh, of none effect when it comes to the saving of their souls. It was for that dispensation to whom it was given. But when Christ came, the law was nailed to the cross. And now the new covenant arises, if you will, and it is established by the blood of Christ that by obeying the new covenant, we now find ourselves uh, in the midst of, 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 of obeying God's will for the church. And by obeying God's will that he has given to the church, we then focus on being saved by living the Christian life that God has prepared before us. The Bible says in Romans 10, going on in verse number Verse number four, Paul would say to them, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. It's interesting that in Hebrews 11 and 6, 
the roll call of faith that we call it. In Hebrews 11 and 6, we find, we find Paul writing to the Hebrews, and he goes all the way back to Genesis. He goes all the way back to Genesis, and he finds Abel. And he identifies, he calls him faithful Abel, who was, who was killed and murdered by his brother Cain. And he talks about how faithful Abel gave that which was according to what God had asked for. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain because it was done by faith. And that faith was based on what God had instructed to be done. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Abel listened to the word of God, the covenant of God, and he made the sacrifice that God desired. Where Cain, his brother, desired to create his own way, his own religious practice. God de desired the firstlings of the flock. And Abel offered that sacrifice. But Cain didn't want to offer that sacrifice. Cain went and grabbed the fruit of the field that he wanted to offer. And he came and he presented it unto God. And God did not accept his offer. And some will say, well, why didn't God accept Cain's offer? Because Cain did not offer what God instructed to be offered. It didn't come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It came by a subjective faith. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to make God accept it. Well, God don't have to accept nothing Amen. or anything. Amen. God accepts that which he has desired to accept. I wish I had time, but I don't. But I at least mention it for those studious people who want to take notes. In Leviticus chapter 10, we're not even there yet, but you can see that the theme is very consistent throughout each generation. It's about obeying the covenant of God. Remember in Leviticus chapter 10 when Nadab and Abihu entered into the temple and they were in worship. Amen when you can. They were in worship and they went into the temple and they were began to offer, if you will, strange fire. Strange fire. Strange fire. It's not that God didn't know what the fire was. It was strange fire because God did not command that to be given. Amen. That's what made it strange. He said, what is this? This is not what I have commanded to be presented or be offered. So when you're offering a subjective faith, you're offering that which you desire and that you want to offer. It is not that which God had commanded to be given. And when they offered that strange fire, and you can just see Aaron, if you will, who, who, who was there, and, and, and Moses, if you will, when they were there, when they offered that, that strange fire uh, uh, unto, uh, uh, unto uh, uh, God, and, and God looked at that strange fire, he, he, he had fire come from the altar and destroyed them both, and he said, don't drop a tear. Don't drop a tear. I will be glorified in my temple. You can't just offer what you want. You have to offer what God has commanded. When you offer what you want, as we read continually and in, in continuing in Romans chapter 10, you're offering that that is of a subjective faith. It's not based on an objective faith. Uh, and so when you offer that which God has not commanded to be offered, you have to understand there are consequences and repercussions for offering that which God has not desired. To be offered. Uh, 
And so we find ourselves, if you will, in Romans chapter 10, and we find ourselves struggling with the, with the goodness and the, and, the, and the awesomeness of God. But God lets us know, I've already given you the commandment. I've already given you direction. You chose, you chose, you chose not to do what I had asked to be done and what I commanded to be done. As Nadab and Abihu did, they made a choice. Their choice was to do what they wanted to do and not to do that which God had commanded to be done. And so every generation, Lord have mercy, thank God for his mercy and for his grace and for his wisdom. In every generation, God gives us a choice. He gives us a choice to make. And that Christian schema, that Christian schema is important because when you have that Christian schema, what you have done is when you come into the knowledge of the word of God, what you have done is you say, look, I didn't know this, but thank God he's had mercy. He's been long suffering. He's allowed me to come to this point in my life. I've been through many byways and highways. I've gone over many mountains and have walked through many valleys. I've crossed many oceans, but now I've heard the word of God. And now at this moment, at this time, in this current place I'm able to hear God's word and now I can obey that which he has given me and I can change my life I can change my life that I might be saved if I remain faithful unto death Romans chapter 10 continually Paul says to them in verse number 4 for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth Hebrews 11 and 10, 11 and 6 says, so then faith, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You got to come, you got to come based on how God has provided. And that is the faith that God has presented to us. It's not the way that you desire but it's the way that God has commanded. In verse number five, in Romans 10 and five, Paul wrote, writes on and he writes to the church and he says, look, for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thy heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring uh, Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith this? The word, the word, the covenant is nigh thee. That means near you. Amen. Even in thy mouth. And where? In thy heart. In thy Christian schema. In thy heart. And what is that word? That is the word of faith. That cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. I can only change my life to that which is acceptable unto God. I can only change my life to that which is acceptable by God when, when, when I accept that which God has given. If I find myself fighting against God's word, I'm not changing my life. I'm still in a fight with the Lord. When, God word, when God's word comes to our ear and our heart is pricked, and, and, and look, 30 years I've been on this road. 30 years preaching and teaching the gospel. I know I look like I'm 20. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> but 30 years. Now I'm 55. I still look good. I still look good. 
But this time side of life, these gray hairs did not come without struggle. There's been the valley. There's been the mountaintop. There's been the obstacles and the hurts and the heartaches and the pains. There's been the trials and tribulation. And surely, if you're going to make it to heaven's glory, nobody will enter in without suffering those things. Peter made it very clear. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. There are struggles in the land. And the struggle and the famine that's in the land, it's not about how much food you have on your table. It's not about how the value of your material possessions. It's not about any of that. It's about whether or not you have God's word in your life, whether or not you've obeyed it. If you want to change your life, if you want to change your life, you're going to need the word of God. God changed the material things. Here I am. I'm almost done. When the flood was over, notice something here. When the flood was over, when Noah and the souls exited the ark, they came into a new world, one that didn't exist because God had destroyed every living thing prior. This was a new world that God had provided for them. So God changed all the material things, all the material things pertained, new vegetation, all the animals that were not in the ark were gone, all of the, 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 uh, the uh, beings, the human beings that were there were gone, except for those that were in the ark. All of those living creatures were gone. Everything was gone. Anything that cre- were, was creeping on the ground was gone. All of that was gone. This was a new place. Stay with me now. It's something that God did not do. God did miraculous things, manipulate Noah and his sons and his wives and force them to somehow be obedient unto him. He didn't make them. He didn't force them to change. That's not what he did. He, he changed all material things. But he didn't change. He didn't force them change, but what he did do was give them the covenant. If you're going to change, help me now. If you're going to change, you're not going to change because of your wealth and riches and the material things that you accumulate upon the face of the earth. That's not going to change you. What do you mean that's not going to change us? Material things don't change you. They just enhance or degrade what you already are. What can change your soul? What can change your heart? What can change your mind? Is the word of God. The covenant. Because when you're obedient to his word, you partake of your own free will. That I'm going to leave those things which are of the world, and I'm going to accept those things which are of God. 
And so of your own free will, you decide to be obedient unto God. And there were some who did, and there were some who did not. But nevertheless, the principle is still the same. In Romans 10 and verse number 8, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse number 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth to, Jesus, to the Lord Jesus and, uh, uh, and, and, uh, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, that is the covenant saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That's what Peter called him. That's what the Holy Spirit called him. A preacher of righteousness, Noah was preaching God's word so that people could hear the covenant of God. What thus saith the Lord. And even this morning, we preach. We stand up and we caruso. We speak openly about the word of God. And we speak that which is written. From God's word because it is what is written that is able to save our souls. It's not our philosophy. It's not our self desire. But it's about what is written. And so Paul goes on and says to them in Romans 10 and verse 15 when he says, And how shall they preach except they be sent as it, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed. That's where the issue is. They have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who shall believe your report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Yes, but you've got to believe it. And then you have to obey it. And when you believe it and you obey it, then your life will begin to change. And you'll be able to become that which God uh, desires for you to be so that you might be saved. One more scripture and I'm done. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He writes to the church of Ephesus because he wants us to understand that there's a, there's a, there's a distinction that needs to be made when it comes to living in the world uh, and living, uh, uh, living for Christ. There's a difference. There's a difference, and we we need to understand because when we when we when we when we look at the difference, we have to understand that that the, the change is in your heart. It's here that the change must take 
I know that you hear a lot of people, oh, you need to, uh, you need to change legislation. The last thing you want is a heart transplant. Baby. That, that's not this heart that you want. That's not the heart that God speaks about. This heart has one job. Beat at a certain rhythm and keep beating at that rhythm. Don't go too slow. Don't go too fast. Just be at that rhythm. That's, a, that's the only thing you want. Trust me. That's the only thing you want this heart to be focused on. Beating at the right rhythm. That's it. You don't, you don't want it worried about how many gray hairs you have. You don't want it to be worried about whether, whether or not you have uh, 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 not enough money in the bank. You don't, you don't want this heart to be worried about who's the president and who's not the president. You don't, have, you don't want this heart worried about any of that stuff. You don't want this heart worried about nothing. Just, just keep beating at the rhythm you need to be. This is the heart that does all the worrying. This heart does all, and you know what? And the blessing of God and the wisdom of God is it's the part of our anatomy that has the, the, the capacity to absorb all that madness. It does that already. This heart handles a very complex system. Amen. This heart right here, the body cannot exist without the mind. Amen. You need that, and this heart has the ability to handle all these complex issues of life. And surely, when it comes to the, 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 the source of our spiritual consciousness, as, Paul, as, as uh, uh, Peter would say, when we go in the watery grave of baptism, it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it's an answer of a good conscience toward God. Notice he says, when you obey the gospel, it's not because you just felt right in your heart. It's because you felt right in this heart. That you understood what to do, and you believed and desired to obey God's word. So in Ephesians 5, as I hurry to a close here, in verse number 1, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. And, and what's happening at the church of Ephesus is that people are wrestling with their Christian schema. They're struggling because they want to live in the world, and they want to live in Christ. They want to live in the world, and they want to live in Christ. And, and, and Jesus made it very clear, when you become a child of God, uh, you are still in the world, but you're not of the world, right? Being in the world, in other words, he doesn't, he doesn't remove you physically from the world. You're still in the world. You still have to deal with all the struggles and the issues of life. But you are now armed with the word of God that is able to, uh, to, uh, to, to, sustain and to provide nutrients for your soul so that you can handle the issues of life as long as you uh, stay with God's word you are able if you will to persist and to and to move forward in such a way that you can present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is a reasonable service Ephesians 5 and verse number 1 the Bible says Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says look be ye therefore followers of God I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. He puts this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes this, and he says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. He opens up this passage of Scripture with that statement because he recognizes that some people are not. They're still struggling. They're still struggling in their heart in this Christian schema. He says, and be ye therefore followers of God. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us. An offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then he talks about all of the lusts and the issues of the flesh that are causing them to fall. 
But then in verse number five, he says, For this ye know, that no homemonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedient. Be ye therefore, be ye not, be not rather, ye therefore partakers with them. Change your minds. You were sometimes darkness. Oh yeah. God dropped us all in there. He, 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 he put us all under the bus. Ye were sometimes darkness. We all walked in darkness. You might as well say amen when you can. You can't, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. For ye were all sometimes darkness. But now, that's what I like. I like the transition point. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of Light, change your schema. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Noah and his family were instructed to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth. This was with all the material things, all of humanity. These were things that were material that in also encompassed God providing the covenant so that they will also inject that which was spiritual. But when it comes to the New Testament church, when it comes to the, 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 the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, the church of Christ, in this dispensation, in the Christian dispensation, we're not trying to bear fruit of material things. We're trying to bear fruit of spiritual things. The righteousness of God, the truth of God, the goodness of God, so that we may prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. And when Romans 12 helps us to understand what is acceptable, he says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants you to present that which he desires, which is a spirit that is obedient unto God, that has changed its mind, not to walk in the world and be of the world any longer, but to be in Christ and to live according to his word. And by being in Christ and living according to his word, we then look for that wonderful day, as Ephesians 5 would tell us, one day Jesus is coming back for the church. Just like he remembered Noah in that ark. God is going to remember the church. And the Bible says that he shall come down from heaven's glory. That is Christ. He shall thrust in his sickle. He shall separate the chaff from the wheat and the sheep, from the goat, the righteous, from the unrighteous, the godly, from the ungodly, the wicked, from the good. And and if you will, he's going to save those who have desired to live Christian lives. And have been faithful unto death. He's going to save the church. He's going to save the church of Christ. Romans 16, 16 says, salute one another with a holy kiss. And the churches of Christ salute you. Romans 15 and 24 says that it is the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom that he shall deliver up. Because Christ is going to come back for the church, the kingdom. He's going to come back for his body, which is the church. That's what he's coming back for. Just like he came back for that ark and delivered Noah and those souls out of that ark, 
he's going to come back for the church and he's going to deliver us out of the church. And so shall we be forevermore with God in heaven's glory. And then once again, we shall have that same intimate relationship with God that Adam and Eve had when they were in the Garden of Eden. They had that in intimate relationship with God where they walked with God. They talked with God. Not, not, not through prayer. Not, 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 through, not through worship services. But they walked and talked with God. Amen. They saw him as he is. And one day Jesus says we shall no longer look through a glass darkly. But one day when we are entered into heaven's glory, we shall see him as he is. We shall see him face to face. And that will take us from coming, from, uh, take us, uh, uh, if you will, uh, uh, from the church after we have gone through so much trial and tribulation. One day we shall see him face to face, not through a glass darkly, but we'll see him as he is. We'll see his glory. And just as 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, as we have borne the image of the terrestrial in this fleshly body, we bore this image of the terrestrial, we shall also bear the image of the celestial. We'll look like him. God bless you, Papa. Give your life to Christ. Let him add you to his body. Romans 10 and 17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Matthew 6 and 33 says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God says your priority is to get your life right with him. It's not about accumulating the things of the world. God says if those are the things that you need, I've already provided those things. Amen. What you need to be is saved that you can make heaven your home. We, we repent of our sins. Luke 13, 3 and 5 says, I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. But God doesn't want anybody to perish. In 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, God says, one day with God is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. He's not slack concerning his promises, and some men count slackness. We do none to perish, but that all should come unto repentance. Time has come to give your life to God, because your life is eternity here, and salvation. God wants you to be saved. Going down in the watery grave of baptism, the Bible makes it very clear that those who are being baptized into Christ, Acts 2 and verse 137, will be saved. The Bible says in Acts 2 and 37, and in Acts 2 and verse 11, what shall we do? We shall repent and be baptized, every one of you, for what? For the remission of your sins. Amen. And Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things passed away, behold, all things have become new. The old has taken a new world because God has transitioned him from an old state to a new state. When you go down in the water to grave baptism, Romans chapter 6 and 4 says, that old man, that old man is crucified with Christ. That old man is crucified with Christ and raised dead. But that new man transitions into a new life. Jesus, because now you are in Christ, and you, as long as you remain faithful unto death, remain faithful unto death, John and Paul both agree, you can receive a crown of righteousness, that fate is not away. I pray that you come, and you come right now, as we stand and sing the invitational song, why don't you come? 936. 936.
me. Mm-hmm. 